Hey y'all, it's Kiara, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of For Realness Sake. This is episode eight in our empowerment series, and this week's guest is a fellow podcaster and a social worker. Chaz is a social worker for us, y'all. She has dedicated her life to helping others, and I admire her so much because she is doing what I aspire to do, help the people. She is currently working on her licensure, and you know we love to see an educated queen. Go Chaz. (laughs) Chaz also has a podcast called The Luggage Life, where she helps us get through this journey called life with motivation, prayers, and of course, real talk. In this episode, Chaz and I dive into the empowering side of social work. I got to show y'all another side of me while getting into how important it is to advocate for us and use our voices. Chaz blessed me with her positive vibes, her helpful motivation, and all of the information about what we can do right now. Be sure to check out her podcast, The Luggage Life, and don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to For Realness Sake. Thank y'all so much for your continued support. Let's get into it with Chaz. So welcome, Chaz. Hey, girl. Hey, hey girl. Hey, <laughs> thank you for that introduction. I feel so important. Jesus, by me. <laughs> that, was an, that was a good introduction. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Girl, I am so happy to have you. Like, just as a fellow podcaster, that's one thing that makes this relationship super lit. But the fact that you're also a social worker and the fact that you proclaim your love and your spirituality so vocally and so you you make it look so cool um I can really appreciate that so I'm so glad to have you here like it's an honor thank you no it's an honor (laughs) for me to be here and look at God because let me tell you when I was that one like Jesus I don't really know if I want to open the door for everybody see our relationship you know that that should be us (laughs) thing and he was like look girl you ain't gonna be having me in no side no side man and I was like okay you got it Here you go, everybody. This right. is my man, Jesus. <laughs> my main man. <laughs> now we good. Well, well, there it goes. The cat's out the bag. <laughs> yes. And, he, and this is him, and he is I, and this is it. <laughs> this is us. Well, well, amen to that, honey. Well, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to us and let the folks know who you are. Yes. What's up, y'all? I am Chaz, BKA, your chill girl, Chaz, the chill extraordinaire. I am the host of the Luggage Life podcast, where we unpack the inevitable journeys of life. Just like that. Everything that you can think about that happens in life, we unpack it because it's worth unpacking. Yes, I love that. And your graphics for your podcast are lit. I love the suitcase, the pictures. I'm like, okay. Thank you. I know. So. <laughs> it's my way of pulling the people in. Y'all be like, oh, where are we going to go about this journey on life? That's where we're going to go. That's what we're talking about. I mean, you know, once COVID let up and Corona stopped doing what she do, we'll be able mm. to make our moves around places. But for now, we're going to journey through this here everyday life. And you're going to catch this. Okay. Hey, I love that. So what are some things you've had to adjust to um, while being on this Rona roller coaster? Oh, that is a good question, girl. Me, my whole self. Okay. I'm being hello. with myself all the time, 24-7. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, I think, you know, and you're already about to start me on my social work soapbox early, <laughs> but, you know, I feel like as we've been hearing about Rona and like 
the way that black and brown families are taking a hit from her more than other communities. Mm. We tend to only think that that happens in neighborhoods that are below the poverty line or that suffer really strongly with poverty. Right. And I learned real quick that to be the case for myself, meaning I realized how difficult, like prior to now, as you know, Key, I was, um, I have moved, but prior Mm. to where I'm living now, I was staying with my family in an apartment and because of just life circumstances um, brought us back together. Initially, my mom and my grandmother live in the apartment by themselves. Then I ended up coming back. Boom. My my brother ended up coming back. So there are now four of us Mm -hmm. in a two bedroom apartment. When you talk about quarantine and needing to be by yourself for 14 days, honey, there's nowhere to go. Where are we going? (laughs) To the bathroom. To the tub. (laughs) You take the shower. Like, like, what are we doing? I'm going to go sit in the sink in the kitchen because I, I think that's just the only way to do it. <laughs> so I'm going to chill in the fridge for now. Right? Let me know if you me. need to come in here. I'll pass it to you. Whatever you need, I got you. <laughs> and so it was just like, you know, that, and for me, that was a, a bit difficult because having to reintegrate into my household where now like I'm an adult, right? So living with my family and we've all developed our personalities, but now that being in a small space where now, you have to be around me, whether you like mm. it or not. Um, and then just that even make, make me think more about like, you know, families where there's potential abuse or there's like a lot of complicated oh, yeah. family dynamics and what other people could be experiencing. So that wasn't the question, but to, to your no, question. No, but that's point, facts. Yeah, to your question and point, just really having to adjust space and time. And I think that those are some of the most valuable things that we take for granted. So for me, it was just, it's even still getting to relearn myself, even now that I've adjusted and now I have more space. It's like, now you're still getting to know yourself in this space where it's complete freeness and openness for you to be who you are. And it's like, "Hmm, well, at this lovely age of 25, who do I want to be right now? (laughs) Um, So it's just a lot of, a lot of self, a lot of self stuff. I've had to, I've had to adjust to myself since Rona came around. She's funny. Mm. Well, yeah, I do say that God works in mysterious ways because if anything, you know, I know I joked a lot in the beginning um, with how the Rona was just pretty much just disrupting all my plans that I had this year. But looking back at that now and seeing what I have now, it makes me super grateful to have this time to reflect. So you kind of start thinking, and I definitely was thinking like, man, I am so grateful to be in a position to not have to feel what these people are feeling. And it really makes me reflect on what is important to me. And a lot of the complaining that I was doing is so tone deaf and unnecessary. And so it definitely made me go back into myself and and correct some things um, within myself and saying like, girl, you got to you got to dig a little bit deeper. Everything is not that surface, you know, start chipping away at at some of those um, feelings that I was having. And I I feel better for it. And that's something maybe I wouldn't have looked into um, if it wasn't for this time for self-reflection. So I'm super appreciative like you, uh, even though it kind of sucks, but you know, balance. (laughs) Rona ain't all the way up the hook. We see you. We 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 a little grateful. Like, thank you, but girl, you could go. So you already let the cat out of the bag with saying that you're a social worker. And I think that anytime social workers get together, it is always like just a feel good, advocating, relating sort of conversation. And I always leave that feeling super empowered. 
So as you know, I am in uh, a program right now for my MSW, but you have already completed your program, honey. So tell us about your social work journey and what made you want to become a superhero? Because <laughs> I think social workers are superheroes. Girl, you know what? I've come to, I don't even know if I could claim being a superhero, but with everything that's happening Stop. in the world, no, seriously, with the things that are happening in the world right now and in the black and brown community, it's mm-hmm. like, well, if there are not any superheroes, we're going to need a few because, uh, <laughs> Lord. Um, yes. But, yeah, so first of all, shout out to you because you are actually what? in the process, okay? Oh, and I gosh. can't remember. Not for real, but let me tell you, I can remember. I went to um, NYU, so for any of you guys that don't know that, hey. university. She's smart, smart. I be trying, trying. <laughs> Struggling. <laughs> um, but I... Um, went to NYU and it was interesting because a little bit of context to that I'm originally from New York Mm -hmm. from Brooklyn from East New York and anybody who knows anything about the geography of New York or just the regions know that that is probably one of the less not necessarily least popular because I feel like you meet people and they're always like I'm from Brooklyn and people get so excited when people say they're from Brooklyn but (laughs) more like the neighborhood I was from depending on who you ask they'll be like "Ooh." Mm. (laughs) Um, and so I had that aspect growing up in New York right of just being from what corporate America likes to call urban America Mm -hmm. and experiencing what I did as a kid I left for a little while came to VA went back to New York and my first time back as a resident was for grad school and so I got to see New York in a different light. I also lived in a different borough at that time. Shout out to the BX because everybody swear BX people and BK people just can't vibe out. But, you know, I, I coexist. Um, I coexist as if I'm two people. But anyway, um, and so going to NYU, I was super stoked to be back in New York. But that was my first experience really putting a name on so many things that I experienced as a mm. woman and young girl of color. Yeah. Um, because I went to an HBCU undergrad, shout out VSU, all my Trojans, <laughs> and everybody from an HBCU. And so, you know, that HBCU vibe gave me the same vibe I would get in Brooklyn. There's just something about being around people of color just feels like we family, we connected, mm-hmm. we look out, we speak. There's just like so many nuances to how we operate that being in a PWI, you just Girl. don't get Hello, I'm, um, I can definitely relate to that at this very moment. <laughs> All of it. And so that whole, like, you, people looking to you to be the answer to the, for the community, like, you for the people. I, out of nowhere, I was like, listen, I'm not Harriet. I didn't pull a we out statement. I'm not Rosa. I ain't say we won't gonna get up. I ain't do none of that. Like, that was not me. So, girl, I just wanted to really make a change to feel like, if there is anybody that comes in my footsteps after me that identifies with any portion of life that I lived or that I am, that the navigating for them could just be a little bit easier, even just a little bit. Right. And that, that was really like my why. So when my kids and my kids' friends and every generation, like, you know, all the kids in the generation that will be born with my children to not have to experience certain things that I did no matter where you're from. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, as I can't speak for everyone, but I think the majority 
of the people of color, the minorities in social work, we have those similar passions. And when you go to a PWI like myself, like you, um, those differences become super clear. And you realize that even though you're all in the same classroom, the fight is different. Mm. And uh, that for me, that like that drives me to just ride for mine, basically, mm-hmm. because there's a whole bunch of people, whether they realize what it is or not, whether they can identify their own privilege or not and see how the system is set up uh, in their favor. There's, you, you know, that's they can choose not to do anything about that and have a perfect career and doing whatever. But for someone like me, I can't I can't not see that. And so when I think about the people that I vow to help, even now, not knowing who they are, but knowing that I'm getting my degree so that I can help someone, I'm like, no, nah, y'all, I got to get it now because I, I have to be ready for them because mm-hmm. I might be the only one for them. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's, it's so funny that you say that because I don't know if I mentioned this to you when we spoke previously, but there were a number of people in my class when I was at NYU that literally their narrative as to why they were there was, you know, everybody in my family has a degree. I had to go to school for something. So I picked social work. Wow. Or even, you know, for people who, and you know, it's tough and I feel like people going to take me to the cross for this one, but even for those people of privilege or with privilege that mean well, but their theories and their ideas and thoughts are framed around. Well, because I want to help those people. Mm-hmm. It's warped. It's a warped empathy is what I call it. Because yeah. where, where, is, where is that drive coming from? Like, how, how did you get to that place? And usually it's from some sort of stereotype. <laughs> it's never from a place of real passion. Right. And, like, I say, and I say what I said because I feel like pre-MSW me, would be like, what you mean those people, mm-hmm. right? And I still do feel that way. But having a little more context to be like, you know what? If I had the same upbringing you did and grew up around the same people that you did my whole life, I would probably think the same way as you. You mm-hmm. know, um, I can't, I, I, I don't know. And so when I, when I hear people talk, which then kind of falls into a whole other issue where oftentimes as people of color we feel like the oppressed has to end up educating the oppressor Mm -hmm. but being in a space of how do I calm myself enough to make this a teachable moment without you then trying to misinterpret it or mislabel it like I'm angry or I'm this I'm everything but passionate to you when Mm -hmm. that's that's clearly not what it is um so it's real Oh yeah, it's it's definitely real, and that there's a fine line between um, being the spokesperson for your people and uh, just downright having to teach because y'all y'all just don't know. <laughs> and do you <laughs> like, want to know? Is the question exactly? Because I I can learn you, okay? I can learn you, yes, <laughs> yes. But it's gonna cost you. So that's why I think that social workers are superheroes because of that passion right there that y'all just heard. That's what we need in our community. We need that passion. So I'm so happy for you. I'm glad that we got another one on our team and that we're going to go ahead and fight this fight. So thank you so much, Chaz, for your just 
enthusiasm for the culture i really appreciate that 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 gives me goosebumps (laughs) well good i'm glad and thank you because listen like you said we need more Mm -hmm. but it's it's just so necessary it's so necessary so thank you and keep carrying a torch doing a thing thing i'm gonna try girl i'm gonna try (laughs) so because we are social workers empowerment might look a little bit different to us there's so many definitions of what empowerment means and what it looks like but coming from a social worker perspective what does empowerment look like to you Mm. that's an interesting question that's a good question actually I feel like one of the biggest things that help to empower somebody is just empathizing with them and Mm. meeting people where they are not coming from a place of judgment, which I can understand is very difficult because there's so much messaging that happens that we're given on a daily basis in a plethora of ways, you know, through the media, social media, commercials, TV, like spokespeople, their narratives, the president, the government, like it goes on and on and on. And being able to really sit with somebody and hold space for their experience Mm. is invaluable. You know, without saying like, and this is even, you know, I fell victim for a while thinking like, let me come into a situation and fix it. Because the reality mm-hmm. is that, and in, in here I now go on my spiritual soapbox, that like outside of just the power of God living in me and him utilizing me as a vessel to do what he wants to do, I can't do anything apart from him for nobody by myself if you're mm-hmm. not willing to do it for yourself. But what I do understand is the importance of bringing education, resource, and space to your space. Yeah. Um, and I had to learn that before anything can be fixed, sometimes people just want to be felt. Ooh. Yes. Like, just let me know that you feel me. Let me know that you understand yeah. me. Let me know that you hear me. Because there's so much, especially when it comes to communities of color, and I say this again, coming from Brooklyn, and, and I don't know if maybe people of color in suburbs experience this. I can't speak to that because that wasn't my narrative growing up. But coming from, quote, unquote, neighborhoods that are urban, um, there's already so much mistrust that is almost kind of like innate because... Mm-hmm. We think we have to be, we have to defend ourselves. We have to defend our narrative because for so long, people basically told us that we were wrong instead of seeing, and not that we want to be victimized, but let's call a spade a spade. Like our communities were established and set up for these results that we see in the news, in the media, in statistics to Mm -hmm. be the reality that they are. So we can't continuously try to you know what i'm saying it's like neat and stitches on something you're just gonna keep putting a band-aid on it so you're gonna put the band-aid you're gonna put the band-aid you're gonna put the band-aid when you're gonna come and stitch me up right because we need to talk about the real issue so i think empowering just really is how do you feel somebody because when you let somebody know that they're felt i've I've, in my experience that has made a world of a difference to people there have been times that i sat in rooms with people where there was like individual therapy group settings And people walk away like, oh, thank you. And I'm like, no, thank yourself. Like you did the work. I ain't really Mm -hmm. do nothing. I asked you maybe one little question. I literally said, how you doing? And silenced myself for you to have the rest of the space. And you put everything out there. You identify what your feeling is, why you feel that way, and what you know you need to do about it, and why you feel like that's difficult for you to do. And really, all I was here to do is barely even coach you. Wow. Yeah. 
I I 100% feel that. I love the analogy of the Band-Aid. And that's exactly what it looks like for me. I always say that. And this sounds so cliche. It's probably like on the poster of empathy, (laughs) if you Google it. (laughs) But I honestly feel like people do not care how much you know until you know how much you care. So Mm. a lot of times you go into these situations and it's like, oh, we, I have that fixture spirit. I'm ready to get it done. What do we need to do to make it better? But if you don't know where someone is coming from, and someone, if you're speaking to someone that doesn't feel heard, that's never felt heard, and maybe doesn't even know how to articulate their feelings, but they know that something is wrong. And you come in, and you're like, okay, I see you need clothes, you need food, you need this, you need that. And it's like, no, actually, I'm sad. You know, Mm -hmm. I got this going on. I got that going on. I just want to talk about that. But we miss it if we just focus on 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 what we can see. So when I look when I think about the empowerment side of social work or the social work side of empowerment, I guess you could flip it. Exactly. I see it as me giving someone the keys to drive. You know what I mean? And me sitting in the passenger seat and saying, okay, where are we going? Right. You know what I mean? And so to me, that's different than my other sense of empowerment where it's more like motivating um, and a little bit like, let me show you, you know, mm-hmm. let me tell you how, th- how this can work. Um, but handing someone those keys and saying that, hey, I'm going where you're going. You Do know, your thing. That, we in this together. Exactly. And I love that. That just gives me chills. <laughs> Now, that being said, can you name a time where you felt an extreme passion to advocate for your people? Mm. All the time? Does that count? (laughs) Yeah. I I was like, when I was thinking about that question, I was like, well, shouldn't that be all the time? No, no, no. Like, give me like a, like a, like one of those feel goods, make us cry kind of stories. Ooh. Mm. This for me. This for me. I need to cry. <laughs> I need this. Watch myself. Uh-uh. <laughs> um, you know what? There is so, so much that actually comes to mind. And I think, you know, of course, I would be remiss not to acknowledge the need or the desire to want to fight for people of color right now in the midst of all the social unrest oh, yeah. that we're mm-hmm. experiencing. Um, and, and every time I watch, whether it's the Khalif Browder story or Oof, girl. Um, was it 19 shots? So was it 20, 22 shots? I'm sorry, please forgive me um, for misquoting the name of that documentary but these documentaries 22 shots yeah i think so um and and all of these experiences you know when they see us no matter what it is my blood boils every time those are the type of things that i'm like okay let me know when we're gonna watch it once because one and done Mm because every time it's just gonna get my blood boiling um but you know even a little bit more specifically i currently um work for a school district and i work in the administrative side, um, for lack of better words. And right now, of course, the whole nation is just trying to figure out with Rona around what reintegration is supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. And we have so many things to consider, right? Like you have early childhood education where there are kids zero to five, six, maybe even seven, that they're starting to develop certain skills, whether that's social skills, interactive skills, you know, learning how to read, all these things that are happening for them at once. And 
they have the inability to interact with their peers Mm. because of what's happening. Right. And it's like, we have to understand and acknowledge how this current moment is presenting the opportunity for them to be set back in their learning, but also kind of like, what is it that we can do and how is it that we can build the most efficient system so that if virtual learning is what the future looks like, our kids that are zero to seven, zero to eight, whatever it is that, you know, you're concerned about or Mm -hmm. early education is that they won't fall behind. How do we do our part with that? You know, and then I think about communities where, again, if you look at how certain cities have been set up with redlining and however else you want to look at it, a lot of our communities, our households and our caregivers are elderly. They can or cannot, you know, have people have an array of different health things going on. But also a lot of times we are the ones that are holding these essential positions where we're still having to go to work so now you're telling me that my kid is going to be home doing school virtually if I got to go to work I can't afford to stay home with my kid right let alone now having to let somebody in my home potentially which of course in the midst of a pandemic is already scary enough exactly and then have them teach my child or even have to like pay them to be here with my child and my work like you gonna cover that Um, So Mm. it's like the really little things that like when we talk about how Corona, how COVID is impacting the black and brown community, it's like, don't get me wrong, the deaths are, of course, like worst case scenario. And of course, something for us to look at, but it's like, before it gets there, it's we're being impacted at every level, hard. Mm. Um, And so right now, I think that's a super big thing for me, like just making sure that as my district starts to plan for how we do go back or what reintegration looks like, having to be adamant about being that voice that says, well, how are we going to consider this? Or what about that? Um, and it's, 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 it's a thing. It's tough. And that's yeah. even like Hispanic communities too, right? Because there are a lot of families in our district that one are either scared to speak up because maybe the caregivers aren't documented, but the children are. And mm-hmm. what that even looks like for people that need mm-hmm. support and aren't even coming forth about it. And that's, you know, any immigrant family, um, or excuse me, and following my own rule, any family that is considered an immigrant family. So it's, it's I say, I, I say all the time because it's really how I feel. It's like all the time. I feel like anytime anything happens on a social level, my first thought is, how does it impact in the black and brown community? And what are mm-hmm. we doing about it? Cause so often we're not doing enough. Or not included in the conversation or the solution. Mm. So, you know, we got to come part. in on the back end to even try to figure it out. So that's, yeah, that's something I don't, I didn't really think about because I don't have children. So I, I never really find myself thinking about that, which I feel kind of guilty about saying now. Uh, that's something that I'm going to educate myself on because that's something that I'm not, I can admit to not knowing a whole lot about. So you know that um, I'm doing this empowerment series and it's been going really, really well. Um, I'm almost done with it. Uh, But something that I haven't really hit on a lot of is being able to use our own voices. We talk about empowerment. We talk about lifting each other up. We talk about sisterhood. Mm -hmm. um, But I didn't really hit on how we can encourage people to use their own voice. So I think you'll be a perfect person to answer that question uh, with your experience and of course with your degree in social work. <laughs> Being able to share how you feel or what, do you, what is, how can you empower someone 
to use their voice to speak out against the disparities in their community and also to encourage other people um, to empower other people. Like, what, how, how would you tell someone to do that? Um, first of all, let me say shout out to you. I love this empowerment series. I think it's super <laughs> dope. And I know that we talk about, and yes, to your point that I think it's, and I don't even necessarily want to call it trendy because I want to feel like it's more becoming of right. like women and women of color just cheering each other on and supporting whether I know you or not. Like yes. I root for you, sis. Like I'm here for it. I want to see you win. There is a more than enough to go around. Trust and believe that because- Thank you. Yes. Just as many people as there are, there are purposes. You feel me? Mm. Like that's just- you were not brought to earth without a purpose. And so it doesn't matter if mm. our purpose falls in the same lane or in the same arena, how you do you, I'm never going to be able to do you like that. And that. nobody is going to be able to do me like me. That's just how, you know, I told y'all my man, Jesus, like he see me working. <laughs> he done put a fine on everybody. You fine. You got this fine. You this fine. <laughs> so he made sure that we all good. You know what I'm saying? And so I think it's so dope to just see that, you know, brought to life, especially in the arena of podcasting, which is still very becoming, it's growing and more mm -hmm. women are starting to do it and people are starting to use their voice. And I think to a point that even answers your question, right? Like how empowering is it to think that like, hey, I plug a mic into a computer, I hit a button <laughs> and I start talking and recording and knowing that once I put this on a platform, people literally anywhere can hear this. Yeah, that's anywhere, cool. and to know that like there a person may come across any of your episodes, and it could really just be that thing that that clicked it for them. That was like, yo, this girl Kiara, like she she's dope, and her podcast, you know, and just that be the thing that now they telling a person about it. And guess why the advertising, the promotion is super dope because it means growth for you. It's like that thing because you decided to say that word or that phrase or talk about that topic somebody else is now fired up to be like oh me too yeah me too you know and I think that yeah. that's super cool um but if, if it if I had to tell a person um or just to talk about how to use your voice I feel like that comes with one knowing yourself be comfortable with yourself oh yeah know yourself and be comfortable with yourself and know the spheres of influence that you have like I was just having a conversation the other day and realizing that the metrics, and I say metrics because that's how real it is, like the things that I was using to judge myself on how valuable I was, didn't even take half of my experiences into account. Wow. I was using a, a, a system of value that was established by somebody else, something else to mm. say, hey, I'm worth this or I'm not. And then when I started to sit back and think like, nah, Chaz, who are you? Like, who are you? Thinking about everything that you've been through, your resilience, you know what I'm saying? Like that moment that you felt was embarrassing when you were homeless, what did that make you? Who did that make you? Because there's a strength in that. There's a power in that. And I think it's just really like, creating a space for that paradigm shift to happen yeah like yeah. and i and i feel like we begin to tip the iceberg like when we talk about oh ain't no such thing as an l it's a lesson right and but but what does that look like practically because a mm -hmm. person can say that and in a season of your life that you go through and afterwards 2020 you know hindsight is always 2020 you look back and say nah I, i'm grateful for this experience it taught me this and this and that but when you're in the midst of it it's so hard to do that 
Yeah. It's so hard to look and be like, I'm homeless. There's power in being homeless. Like, no, not when you can't yeah, figure out how you're going to eat and how you're going right. to pay a bill. Empowerment, where is this? <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, I, I, yeah, I would just say loving yourself, knowing yourself, finding strength in your experiences. But I think too, if you are a person, well, realize, now I'm not even gonna say if, because every person is connected. I don't care who you are, where you are, what you do. You know people that know people, you have influence in some way. And identifying the things, the people, the spaces where you can give knowledge and take back a lesson. I don't care if you on a street corner rolling dice, you could teach somebody something while you're doing that. Okay. <laughs> okay. We could talk about a lot of things while we roll dice. Seven eleven. What's up? Um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't care if you really are sitting in a classroom at Harvard. Like I don't care where you mm-hmm. are. Um, you are connected to a system and to a bigger thing and your voice matters in that thing. So figuring that out. And then again, for me, like I said, one of the things that ways that I've been adamant about that is when I speak to parents and families, even teenagers, I'm like, look, do you know about the school boards? Do you know what the school board is responsible for? Do you mm. know how these decisions impact the money and the funding that your school gets? The activities you like, you know, you like playing sports, you like the musical activities, you like the STEM academies. That's Listen, good. and this is this is where you need to, this is what you need to do to make sure that these things are sustained. Because when you don't speak up, you give the power for somebody else to tell your story. And a lot of times, unfortunately, these people don't look, may not look like you. They don't understand you, but they're speaking for you. And they're wow, making decisions for you. Woo! So, <laughs> so it's really just, yeah, you know, I think it's, and, and it takes, and it takes time and it comes with like, you're going to say something sometimes, trust me, I still, I still now to this day, as I'm even talking a conversation, because I believe that we are ever evolving, literally, like as time seconds are clocking and ticking, like you're growing. And so I say things in conversation and sometimes whether it's like a recording or something that I've videotaped or I go back and look at an old um, Instagram archive and I'm like, I said this on my snap. Why did I ever say that? Right. But it it comes with like, (laughs) you have to, in order for you to find your voice, you have to use it. Yeah. That is so true. And you want to say things, you're going to say things and be like, girl, kill that. Delete that. Had delete Please. all that, Peggy. You ever seen that video? <laughs> I ain't playing with you, Peggy. Delete all of it. It's no. <laughs> but I agree with that because sometimes I can go back on my Facebook and like you know, Facebook always gives your memories. So girl, I think I had a Facebook since like 2009. And um sometimes when I go back and I look at those memories, I see like young Kiara trying to like say little stuff that you know comes off as, as the things I say now that's very much um positive mm-hmm. and motivating things but it was you know uh covered up by all the other just ratchetness uh, that was my <laughs> Facebook at the time it just like it's like you were trying like you you were there like she was coming you know mm-hmm. but you were just and now it's so cringy. When I look at my memories now, I like I look at them for the purpose to delete them. Um, <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, just see what's going on now. So I go and delete whatever. But every now and then I'm like, ah, oh, you were there. And, and that gives me like, I have to give kudos to God because I'm like, 
you were you were grooming me you know what i mean like you were saying little stuff and, and i was catching it but if i would have caught i couldn't have caught it all at that time you know it wouldn't have been right y'all wouldn't have received it the right way because i wouldn't i honestly wouldn't know what i'm talking about or what i'm doing uh but i saw that work and it it, it shows that we are who we're supposed to be we're just fine-tuning that thing and once it's there it's there and who knows when you're when it's complete but I'm so grateful for that, that even that little bit of growth, because I'm like, man, if y'all would have caught me in 2009, like, whoa, whoa. (laughs) hit him with the whoa. No, but seriously, and like to your point, you know, it makes me think about, you know, in the Bible, when God talks about like the purging and the pruning, like Mm -hmm. that has to happen. You're going to go, that's the the purpose of seasons, you know, like there are things that are going to be planted and they're not going to harvest for a while, but mm-hmm. they're planted. And before, you know, just like when you plant a seed for a flower, before that flower buds and sprouts, it's being developed underground yeah. when nobody can see it. People are walking Ooh, over it. Good. There's a lot happening, but underneath Ooh. in the soil, there's, there's things happening. Girl. It's being rooted. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. finally, once it's stable enough and it's hit that level, like, oh, boom, it breaks ground. There you go. And can't nobody stop it because it's strong. Okay? Hello. It's- it's been watered, it's been planted, it's been pruned, and it's strong. We ain't going nowhere, period. <laughs> Seriously. No, it's just, just like that. Just That's like a word. That. A whole word. Come through SJR. <laughs> okay. So All right. Now you got to tell us now because you, you're planting your seeds right now. You've planted them in social work, and you've also planted them with your podcast, luggage life so why don't you go ahead and just tell us about your podcast and also where they can find it and support absolutely thank you so you know as i'm even reflecting on being able to answer this question i feel like everything we talked about is essentially the reason why i created it um and so the real reason why i started my podcast was because getting into social work knowing the things that i had experienced but also being able to work on a clinical level one-on-one with people you see how much people come to you as a quote unquote professional to mm. quote unquote get help, but then you realize how much they help you in the process. Say that. And so, you know, a person comes bearing their soul to you essentially, you know, and of course, once that relationship is established and a lot of times you find yourself sitting in a seat. Well, for me, I can't speak for everybody. For me, I found myself sitting in a seat identifying with my clients and really understanding what that was and just feeling their emotion. Um, mm-hmm. But then I realized how outside of that space, they weren't talking about these things the same way. Mm-hmm. They didn't feel comfortable to be able to talk about it in the same way. And I was like, you know what? We are all on a journey. We are all in a process. We're all traveling. We all just live in life. And it it really hit me in the form of the analogy of like, you know, when you go on vacation, everybody's excited about the vacation at first. You're happy about where you're going. You're looking forward to the place. You might, you know, have things arranged. You might have like attractions lined up. You know who you're going with. You know, everything submitted. Your your back, girl, I don't know about y'all. My bags be packed like a week before (laughs) vacation. Like I'm ready. (laughs) and then you have that experience a lot of times not that it ever necessarily is bad but 
how you actually experience that vacation or that place may not be exactly how you envisioned it being, but you gain from it regardless. And then you get back home. And the last thing you want to do, again, I don't know about y'all. I pack my bags a week before I leave them packed when I get back for about a month. Hello? Yes, girl. Don't unpack until you need to go somewhere again. And I need that bag. <laughs> Take that all out. Let me get that bag. I need you again. We all on the road again. Um, and so that was like, oh my goodness, life really be like that. Like you go through something and you get so high, especially when you're younger and you have these milestones to look forward to 18 or you turn to 21, you get your license, you're able to drink or party or do whatever it is that you look forward to doing. And then you have these experiences and you'd be like, whoa, hold on. And as you experience them, you know, unless somebody really asked you about them, you know, you're just like, okay, that, that was what that was. Mm-hmm. And so that's what luggage life is about. Just like unpacking it all, you know, with a twist, with a lot of Jesus, a lot of laughs, you know, a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the people can find me actually on Instagram at Chilling with Chaz. That's C-H-I-L-L-I-N-W-I-T-C-H-A-S on Instagram and Twitter. I mean, y'all, she is praying on there. She is dropping gems on there. Like her smile, her dimples, like it's just like a good positive energy on that on that Instagram page. So, and then your description makes it, I mean, if I hadn't heard your podcast already, that would definitely make me want to hear it because it's just so positive and so light. And I love listening to a real conversation like that. So I'm like so excited for you and what you have going on and Oh, thanks sis it takes one to know one okay so shout out to oh, you lord oh my god mm-hmm. thank you Chaz is there anything else you want to say to the folks before we go no I just I, you know what I gotta stop that I say no one and I start talking see that social work <laughs> I'm telling y'all um, but I just want to say to you thank you so much for having me I really am so grateful just to like be here to share oh. this experience to create community because it's so needed and it's so important right now so everybody that's listening stay empowered like continue to check in on yourself, love on yourself, know yes. and support your community, find your community and know that we will be I like we are resilient people. We've proven time and time again, we make it through whatever. Not that anything should be acceptable, but we can handle anything. So yes. a lot of God and a little bit of, well, actually God and faith go together. I was about to say a lot of God, <laughs> a little bit of faith, but you know, they're one and the same. <laughs> so um, yeah, we going to be all right. Hey, you better empower them folks, okay? Thank y'all for listening, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye. Bye, y'all.